This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. To find out more, visit samovarlife.com. And by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, visit insideactingpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Elga. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors, writers, directors, filmmakers, casting directors, agents, managers, anybody involved with the entertainment industry, and we bring those interviews to you via an iTunes podcast. That, well, a podcast <laughs> that you can also, you can also find, find on iTunes. iTunes. <laughs> um, and uh, also, as always, want to keep the dialogue as open as possible. And so, of course, we've got a myriad of ways to get in touch with us. And we've got your voice on the podcast today, a couple of emails, a couple of voicemails. And uh, we're really looking forward to part one of our two-part interview, well, Trevor's two-part interview, with uh, writer, playwright, and screenwriter Kit Steinkellner, who makes sure you... Take a mental note of that name because you will definitely be hearing it uh, in in the future months and years to come in the entertainment industry. Okay, so um, hey everybody, it's been I feel like it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been about a week and a half. We, uh, yeah, that, which is a while, which is which is incorrect. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not a while. It's an incorrect amount of time because we're supposed to come out with these uh, once a week. Yeah, we. Uh, it was you know with the holiday weekend and all that. We we got a little busy and couldn't find the time to get together. But um, yeah, well, so, we had your birthday. Yeah, the, the holidays, then my birthday. Yeah, and we started. Uh, sort of meetings for first squad so it's been yeah a bit nutty a bit nutty it's only gonna get worse too because you know i'm doing i'm doing group now for the fringe festival right and gospel so you're kind of in two shows and i'm working like moment. three or four <laughs> jobs so uh what so. are you an actor <laughs> what's going on here? um what's new with you man uh i you know besides being uh 20 <laughs> yeah, I'm 20 something. I'm in my uh, late 20s. Go go look on IMDb. They probably have it there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I you know, it's funny. I've been uh, I've been in email contact with my manager a lot lately and uh, it, we've been sort of mutually uh, discussing the fact that it's really slow. In the business right now. Yeah, I just had a meeting with my agent. I just stopped into the office because I was down there for an audition, mm-hmm. and he said, "Even the clients I have that work all the time say it's really slow." He said, "Even my buddy Glenn Morshower, who like works, he was on Twenty Four for like you know however many years, yeah, as a main character. He called the office because he's friends with my agent. He said, dude, it's so slow. I haven't gone out at all.' Yeah, so eh, you know." Yeah, it's uh, it's really strange when the business, gets, especially when there's nothing going on. It's like there's no strikes happening at the moment. Yeah, uh, nobody's talking about the merge. Nobody. I notice, you know what? I notice a lot of kind of like bigger name actors doing a lot of theater lately too. It's like everybody has all this kind of time all of a sudden to like do yeah. other stuff. And you know what sucks about that? I've talked to I've talked to a lot of my uh, actor and even even agents and stuff, my actor friends and agents that I know and stuff have talked about the fact that when you go when you go through a time period like this, it really sucks for people whose careers are sort of just starting out or, you know, where where um, uh, yours and, and mine are, which is to say that you have like these huge A-list feature film actors who end up doing uh, series regular stuff on television. Then you have the people who are usually the series regulars doing the guest star spots. The guest the people who usually do guest star spots doing the co-star spots. The people who do the co-star po- spots do not doing anything, like going and doing theater, like you were saying. So you have yeah. you have big uh, film actors and big television actors doing theater, both in New York and in L.A. And it's just sort of like it's this like reverse pyramid thing where it keeps pushing de- pushing down the 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 the, the roles so that uh, the quote unquote trickle down effect. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it 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 sort of hits us in a negative sort of way, yeah. and I think that's why <clears throat> that's what, uh, yet another reason why 
so many people are, are doing the whole self-producing thing. Like, I was going to like, say, self-produce? Hell yeah. with you. Like, we're going to work no matter what. And I guess that's kind of what I've been up to, if you're going to ask that question. Yeah. is You know, uh, Nelson, uh, you, and myself have all been sort of uh, trying to figure out what it means to run a production company, uh, yeah. since we still have no idea. And... And and just working on on bettering the the podcast, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's 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 weird to think like, oh, I'm working on my acting career right now, but I'm I'm kind of not. It's sort of this end around where I'm working on the production company or you know some ideas that I have. Like I was telling you the other day, like my first IP, intellectual property, my first idea or asset for ligature is not going to feature me as an actor at all. Yeah, you know, if anything, I'm going to produce and maybe direct. And, and then, and that's it. And that, that was a weird thing for me to think like, I want to do this. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> that's, this isn't going to further my acting career at all. Or yeah. is it? Yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. You never know. You never know. How um, about you? What's going on with you? Uh, I've had a few, I've had a few, uh, meetings, uh, this, this past week or two. Um, they were all right, but you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm some auditions I'm, I'm nailing and some I'm not. And I'm still kind of in that whole learning curve. Of, uh, of figuring out how to just be consistent, 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 consistent. You know, I go through phases where I, 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 I'm like on fire and I'm like, I finally figured out how to like go in there and be myself and just do strong work every time, no matter the situation or the unpredictables or any of that stuff. And, and you know, then I slip into a phase like this where I'm like, man, I just keep bombing these. Like, what is it? What do I have to put it? What is it about this? You know? So I'm working on it. I have a, a friend I, I work with and one of my thrival jobs uh, it's kind of Michael <clears throat> and he, he came into work the other day and it, it's so funny cause he, he doesn't, he constantly talks to me about his career, but he's not really asking me for advice. So I'm not really sure. I don't want to say, I'm not really sure what he wants. Cause that sounds like, um, like he wants something from me and that's not necessarily true. It's just, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to contribute to the conversation other than like giving him encouragement. And, uh, he, the, the other day he, he came into work and like literally was like, I am a terrible actor. I have like, mm. bom-. he's like, I have bombed like every audition for the past, like three weeks. And it's like really bad. He's like, it's, it's to the point where like I'm flubbing my lines and, and all this stuff. And like, I'm listening to him talk about it. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, one is just building upon the other. Like, it sounds to me like you're letting this get deeper and deeper into your psyche and you're letting it affect the next audition and then the next yeah. audition and then the next audition and then the next audition. Like, uh, that's really what it seemed like. And I was like telling him, I was like, man, you've got to break this cycle. You know, I don't, I don't know how, cause I don't I don't know you that well. I don't know what your process is, but you, you've got to figure out how to get back into your your psyche and 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 take control of it again. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm, you know saying stuff like I'm an I am a horrible auditioner. I'm a horrible actor. It's like that's just programming yourself for failure. They say what's the there's a stat out there a statistic that says like eighty percent of the thoughts we have are negative or or self abusive or oh god. So it's like once you start to become I I went through a phase once where I wore a rubber band on my on my wrist. I, I learned about this in a seminar I did. Um, and every time I had a negative thought, a self-defeating thought, I would snap the rubber band on my wrist. Really? Yeah. And it's amazing because it doesn't, I mean, it hurts a little bit, but it's not about punishment. It's about bringing attention to your thoughts and how negative you can be with yourself. And after like three or four days, you, you just kind of Your stop. wrist hurts? Yeah. <laughs> you just, well, you just kind of stop having those thoughts. You just kind of stop thinking that way because your brain just kind of immediately makes the connection between negative thought and like a little bit of pain on your wrist there. And so it just kind of stops and it's kind of cool to be like, oh, wow, I was really beating myself up and now I'm not anymore, you know? And then you, and then of course you start to replace those thoughts you can't just take something away and then leave the vacuum. You have to replace it with something. So you replace those thoughts with positive thoughts and then it goes into affirmations and all that, you know, new agey stuff. But, uh, it was really interesting. And I think if, you know, if you, if you carry around thoughts, like I'm a horrible actor, even if you just had a bad audition, it's like, oh, don't say that to yourself. It breaks my heart. All right, Trevor, don't say that to yourself because it's breaking my heart. <laughs> I didn't say it was a bad actor or a bad auditioner. I said I'm still learning. <laughs> That's true. You did say that. But you, but you <laughs> I feel like every other week we record, you're like, oh, I had this really bad audition or whatever. Only, only, there's only two in recent memory I could think of. This okay. one and then the, the last one for that pilot, which was awful. <laughs> but... <laughs> but <laughs> All right, but anyway, but you know, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of good auditions too. So, uh, you know, 
you know, you live and learn. So we have an email and a voicemail we wanted to tackle on today's uh, episode. And the first email comes from uh, a listener out of town. Um, do you want yeah, to tackle this one? He lives kind of in the D.C. area, I guess. Yeah. Do you want to um, tackle this one? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's. I'll try to summarize uh, the the email um, to the best of my ability. He, uh, he basically says he's got a lot of th- theater experience and... In this smaller market, I guess there's not a whole lot of agents, and he has gotten himself hooked up with one of them, which is great. Um, this agent's been sending him out a lot of theater stuff. He's even booked some print work through them. But they're starting to send him out on a lot of commercial film and television stuff as well. And he's really excited about it, obviously. And um, uh, congratulations on you know this agent being being so... Um, interested in, in in getting you out that's that's awesome but he feels a little bit hesitant because he feels like he doesn't have the um, experience and so I mean the crux of his question is is basically like asking us um, aside from you know get an education about <laughs> it he says that in the email like get yeah. an education uh, and then get the work you know basically go to a uh, you know film and television or acting for the camera class, basically, is what other, you know, advice do you have in um, transitioning into film and television auditions versus theater auditions? Uh, we've gotten similar questions uh, on the podcast before, but this this one's always an, an interesting one and a big one at that, like, you know, one of those ones where we could talk about it for a really long time. But what uh, what kind of stuff kind of hits you right off the Right off the bat with this one. Uh, well, the, I think he's on the right track because he said in his email, if I'm not mistaken, he said something along the lines of like, you know, I get that you just want to kind of be yourself and be honest and, you know, respond intuitively moment to moment. Like right. That kind of thing. And I think that's right. really... He says at the, at the heart of performance in any medium, the most important factor is being truthful and present in the moment. Yeah, that's just I mean, like great. That If you can get that, I mean, the it's fact like that, he, that he knows about... Yeah, exactly. I don't think, I don't think I could, anybody could have said that better. Um, he's got that. And I think that's really the, the biggest thing is just, you know, ugh, I feel weird saying this, but, you know, it's, the, it's about the truth. You know, just find the truth and just, just play the truth. And I, that sounds so cliche, but that's really what it is. So he, he's got that. And I think it, then it's just from there, it's just kind of getting to know your body and how you, how you express things. And I think that's just a practice thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's more of a technical thing. Like if, if he, if he really feels confident that he can tackle, I don't want to say this, like <clears throat> basically what, what you were just saying, if he feels confident, he can tackle the idea of living in the moment and really playing his objective and trying to affect the other person in the scene that's most of acting right there yeah. you know uh and so if if he feels like he can tackle that then the rest of it is technical mm-hmm. you know um some people call it hitting your mark but what i usually say is like uh, film and television requires just as much energy as the stage but it requires that it be more contained so if you can put just as much energy and focus into every little action that you're doing but then contain it because you know your left eye is going to be 50 feet tall on a on a you know on a giant projected screen you have to remember that so every little movement is huge right and so you have to kind of contain that but take that same energy that you put into your theater, your theatrical performance, and sort of, you know, bring it into yeah. a more focused state. I and we're, we're talking primarily about theatrical stuff here. I mean, commercially, I think it's it's very similar. But you know, there are a couple technical things you can do commercially. Um, but I think that's all stuff that you'll learn in like a, a class. You know, I took an eight week class with uh, Porter Kelly, um, who was one of our guests on the podcast. You know, like God, thirty at forty episodes ago. And um, within that eight weeks, I just learned a couple little technical things, and my callback rate like shot up to like eighty, eighty-five percent for commercials, and it's pretty much stuck there since I took that class. 
That's so awesome. um, it's just a couple little things that you want to kind of just figure out with your own body. I, I can't really articulate any of them now, and I don't want to get into like acting class land, you know. But but um, I think I think this listener's got it down, you know. The fact that that he understands that sort of those core ideas, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's I mean that that stuff is you know people go to class for a long time to yeah. to understand how to actually implement that. It's one thing to know it. Mm-hmm. And another thing to to sort of implement it. Yeah, <clears throat> great. Well, we hope that uh, that helps. Hope that uh, it's a good start. It's a good start. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have anything you'd like to add, of course, you can always call or write in. And uh, uh, if we didn't answer this listener's question, you know, you can always get in touch with us in the uh, the various methods that we have. Cool. And then we also have a voicemail from a listener named Arman in. Did he say Texas? Yeah, he's from Dallas. He actually sent us an email as well, uh, and I sort of he didn't mention that he he didn't mention the email in the voicemail, and he didn't mention the voicemail in the email. So <laughs> I kind of put them together based on the question and also his name. Um, but he, he basically in the email he said, you know, if I'm inexperienced, should I send my headshot and resume to an agency or should I wait until I have theater experience? Um, and he said, for some reason, when I email local theaters, they don't respond. Now. That that's kind of not the same thing he asks in the voicemail, so we should also play the voicemail. But I thought it was interesting that this is a question that we kind of answered with Denise Fleener's daughter in, what was that, 50 or 49? Just the previous episode where we talked about, you know, sending, you know, and we've talked about it multiple times on the podcast about sending your headshot and resume when you're quote-unquote ready to. Right. When it's ready to go. Right. Um, And then his voicemail kind of takes it a step further. Hi guys, my name is Armand Abbasi. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And the other day, one of my friends told me a tip saying that if you're a beginner at this, don't send your headshot and resume to every agency in your area because it make it, like it won't really get you anywhere. And you have to go out there and you know email them and tell them to go to your performances. But how about if you just keep emailing them or whatever, telling them to go to your performances for them to actually want you as a client, but they never respond after a while. What do you do then? I mean, is there is there just a yellow brick road after that? I mean, is there? I, mean, I don't. What I'm planning to do is to do that, but I want to know if it they, it never picks up and none of them actually want to come to my performances. What do I do after that? Is there any optional route? Great question. I mean, we we can talk about this forever. And uh, we have talked about this uh, several times in the podcast before, but I feel like it's it never gets old because it's it's just one of those things. It's like it's just such a huge stepping stone in your career, and it's always like how do you, how do you get past the gatekeeper? How do you get over this hurdle to get you know into the room and yeah. into the door? Well, the specificity the specificity in this question that we haven't actually addressed on on the podcast is he's talking about very specifically trying to get these agencies to come see him in a in a theater performance and and he's asking if they if they're not coming what else can i do yeah you know <clears throat> so i feel like maybe we should address this in sort of two parts which is one talking about tips to kind of help get them out to see the show and then two what are those quote unquote optional routes as he said in the voicemail yeah so do you have any thoughts on the whole getting people out to see shows i think it comes down to basic marketing principles um you know repeatedly telling people about your show you know you can't just do a one and done kind of thing you got to put it in front of them several times and if you can personally follow up as often as possible we've talked about this before you know with our theater ensemble like a personal email is way more effective than a mass email and a personal phone call is way more effective than a personal email you know, so right. it's like the, the the more you can kind of connect with them and ask them to come out and give them, you know, give them a reason. Like if you can comp their tickets with an industry comp of some kind, great. If you can offer them um, free parking, free parking. If you if there's a, a, a gala of some kind going afterwards where there's food and drink, um, you know, maybe you can recommend a restaurant in the area, um, suggest that they make a night out of it. Make sure they, they also have a ticket for a date or a friend they can bring along, like really make it worth their while to come check it out. And just connect with them on a human level. You know, it's not about like, come see me, come see me, represent me. It's like about, come out to this awesome night of theater that I'm in. I'd love for you to see this this play right. and by extension, see my work. 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe if it, we can, we can work together in the future. Yeah. But you know, how do I mean, if you have their email address, fantastic. But I mean, I feel like connect as in as many ways as possible, send the postcard for the show with your headshot, um, you know, over several times, maybe three times or so once every week or two up at, leading up to the show. And, um, and just let them know you're busy and working. Yeah. I, I, and to sort of add on to that, I would say a lot has to do with positioning. Um, <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, you know, this old saying, location, 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 like where are you doing these shows? You know, I don't know much about the Dallas market. I don't know much about the theater in the Dallas market, but I know that if I was here in Los Angeles and someone said to me, oh, I'm doing a show at theater X versus I'm doing a show at theater yeah. Y, I would say, you know, an agent is much more likely to go see a show at theater Y than they are to go see a show at theater X yeah. or somebody from the, you know, there's certain, there's certain houses, uh, playhouses in LA that are considered places where people from the industry tend to go, you know, um, and just try to learn what those are and see if you can't get in there, you know. Um, so like I said, Armand, I don't know what those, those, those places are, but you know, maybe, maybe you do and, 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 you know, try to get yourself involved with those and make it as Trevor was saying, easier for those agencies to actually go, go and see those shows. Yeah. And I would say if you can make the next action as simple as possible, you know, Mark Gant talked about this in his interviews. And, uh, um, I think it's just a huge thing to be able to say like, what date works for you of these three or these five? Let me know and I'll get the comp tickets to you. Like make it, don't, don't let there be any ambiguity as to what they need to do next. Because the minute that they have to think about what to do next, oh geez, what's the next step here? You've lost them. Yeah, done. You know, yeah. so just be like, make it, make it, step. you know, they, they, they say that when you're interviewing people or working with customers, you want to ask open-ended questions, but this is one of those cases where you don't want to do that. Give them a yes or no. You know, yes or no on this, one, two, or three on this, you know, like make it simple. Yeah, multiple so, choice or, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and if, you know, if they don't, if you don't hear from them, like don't knock them off your list, just keep following up, keep following up and make sure you're being specific. You know, don't waste your money. He, you know, he said this in the, in the voicemail, don't waste your money sending it out to like 50 agencies. Pick the ones that you want to work with. Pick the ones that you, your friends have relationships with that you can, you know, name drop a little bit or something just so that you're not some actor coming out of the blue. And uh, And that goes back to what you were saying before about being specific, not, not doing the whole email blast thing. That's, that's very similar. Yeah. Sniper rifle versus shotgun. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, we hope that helps. Uh, Armand, thank you so much for calling in and being in touch. Uh, I think that that's pretty much all we got before we roll into this interview with Kit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So enjoy this, uh, first part of a two part interview with writer, playwright, screenwriter, Kit Steinkiller. All right, guys, welcome back. It's Trev, and I am sitting here with a friend and somebody I'm very excited and inspired to be talking to, uh, my friend Kit Steinkellner, who is not only a very successful and critically acclaimed playwright, but also uh, a very, um, uh, I guess, promising screenwriter. I mean, you've got a couple scripts already uh, in the works that are getting some interest I and do. attention, yeah, so yeah. so a screenwriter as well. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about the creative process, and uh, Kit's going to share some of her insights into writing and uh and how she approaches all that so kit thank you so much for being here oh i'm i'm so excited yes absolutely cool so you know you know you know that you've listened to the podcast Mm -hmm. you know kind of how what our focus is um we really like to focus on actors creating their own work um, which Mm -hmm. is why i'm so excited to have you sitting with you because you've written some really compelling works um and you're very actor friendly a lot of your work is very actor friendly i think you get where actors come from so um before we go into all that i want to start at the beginning because i know that I think you grew up in LA. Yeah, um, yeah, I did. Yeah. So, so what brought you from from birth basically to your involvement with the industry? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was born in Burbank, and I lived in Santa Barbara. No, I'm sorry, I lived in LA for the first 12 years of my life, and then went to junior high and high school in Santa Barbara. My parents moved there, and then uh, I came back and did my undergrad and grad work at UCLA, and I've been here in LA ever since. But, um, but yeah, no, uh, uh, my parents. Uh, 
written for television film. Um, I, I went to Paramount Daycare when they were working in television. Oh, cool. Um, so that was, it, it, I mean, it's, it's funny because you never realize how weird your childhood is until, you know, you talk to someone who had a normal childhood. But right. I mean, who does? Like, I was talking to um, a mutual friend of ours who grew up in Wyoming, and, she, and I was talking about, you know, growing up at Paramount Daycare and, you know, just, like, getting lost in the lot. And then she was talking about growing up in Wyoming and getting lost in the plains of Wyoming and getting, you know, punished by her father and having to, like, spend the entire summer, like, milking cows and stuff. So it's, like, everybody has their, their <laughs> Puts weirdness. things in perspective a little but, um, bit. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I grew up in L.A. and I, um, I don't know, I think everybody in theater and film and TV starts as actors, whether they admit it or not. Like, I always wanted to be in every single, you know, youth in school and play thing I could. And I was always, you know, like, the kid in the back with if it was Peter Pan I was wearing an eye patch and if it was you know Annie I was in rags like whatever um but um I don't know I I think I I, I never really wanted to be on stage but I wanted to be a part of stories and uh then when I was a sophomore in high school in Santa Barbara um they uh they had a playwriting program um at the high school they still do it's pretty amazing because it's you know it's you know it's not every high school you, you get that kind of opportunity, but um, I was an actor in one of the plays the year before my freshman year, and uh, I was so jealous of all the playwrights, and I, I didn't even know I wanted to write until I was I finally gotten like a part that had more than you know half a line, and I didn't want to be acting anymore. I really wanted to be writing. That's so, interesting. Yeah. You, were, you were jealous of the playwrights. Yeah, I, I, I still remember it's. I mean. I, I always kind of rolled my eyes before at, like, epiphany moments in, you know, film and TV. And then I had one when I was, I think, 14. I was on stage. And um, I was uh, staring in the back row where the playwright uh, was talking to the director. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish I could pull a Freaky Friday and be where you are and have you come up here and do the lines. I want to I wanna be where you are. And um, so I started writing plays by uh, sophomore year of high school and just never looked back It made me so happy and I mean as a kid I was kind of like a wibbly wobbly like insecure like go with the flow kid I never really knew where my place was or where I belonged and I was just I don't know I was just kind of running around trying to figure out you know who I should be what would make people like me what would make me like me and then yeah I just started writing and all of a sudden all those things clicked into place um it was luckiest best thing that ever happened to me was the playwriting class I took my sophomore year of high school. That is so cool. So it almost came like as, as a natural extension of just kind of the things you were experiencing. Yeah, in I mean, your life. I was I loved loved going to plays. I loved reading plays. I loved reading books. I loved being a part of stories, but I didn't know really how to be a part of them as anything other than an audience member until I started writing. I mean, the deal is I think every kid knows that they can act whether they can act well is a different story but I think every kid knows that because um because there's so many opportunities but you don't really as a kid get opportunity to write a screenplay or write a play and that's why um, I'm a teacher now as well as a writer and I that's one of the things I believe in is giving kids a chance the opportunity because so many kids I've worked with you know like they wrote some short stories and they wrote some poetry as all kids do you know in you know English class or you know as extracurricular things but I think Sometimes you just need to give kids the chance to do something that kind of out there and specific mm. as, as writing a yeah. play or writing a screenplay. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, for me, it just, it just clicked. And That's it was really cool. Luckiest, most blessed, best, best thing that ever happened. <laughs> so. That's great. And what's neat about that is because a lot of your work, I think, kind of examines the, the kind of kid in us. You know, I mean, the, the work that I've read or seen, it's, you seem to kind of take those those child the, the the childlike aspects in relationships and, and really examine those and kind of take those to the to them I, I just love the way the way you 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 portray that stuff thank you thank you um, so much I mean, so, but before yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> before we even go into all that because i do want to talk about like yeah. like what what your inspiration is and how you get kind of come upon these themes and whatnot um i want to talk a little bit about your process because you said sure. you just kind of started writing and this playwriting workshop was one of the best things that happened to you and everybody has a different kind of approach i think to to sitting down and writing do you have any sort of i i want to use the word like rituals do you have any sort of rituals or kind of things that that you do to kind of get you in the mode or set up like what's your environment like i mean this is a huge question but but what comes to mind when i say okay we need you to write 
Like, what do you do? Sure, sure. I mean... <laughs> Besides write. I guess the first thing I should say is I think I'm constantly learning. It's constantly changing. I definitely learn by mistakes. Like, I really need to get up early in the morning to write. I think if I start writing... I'm not an evening writer at all. I'm, I'm completely exhausted. So... And it's always, I always try to trick myself. I'm like, no, I want to sleep in all of time in the afternoon. Like, it'll be fine. But if I don't start writing in the morning, I'm kind of screwed for the day. And I think part of that is actually, um, Amy Bender, who's a short story writer, very, you know, magical and dreamy and, and whimsical, said the reason she writes in the morning is because, um, she's still in touch with that kind of dreamy part of her. And, and I definitely think I relate to that. I, I definitely like, still being in touch with that sort of you know dreamy anything can happen part of you I, also i'm just i don't hate myself as much early in the morning <laughs> it's like uh, for some reason when you get up you just you haven't got you know all the cogs and gears in place yet and you would think that you know wouldn't be good for writing you have to be firing off all, all cylinders but i definitely get into it at a certain point but i think start for me starting early in the morning just means i'm not gonna look at everything and be like shit 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 it's all shit like, right yeah can, can we use four letter words in the podcast i don't oh, know oh yeah yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's an 18 and older audience um, that's so that's so interesting i think i think michael Crichton says that said you know rest in peace michael Crichton. but he said that when he was writing a book when he got to the final stages of it he would actually have to go stay in a hotel room for like a week or two because he forced himself to get up like 15 minutes earlier every day yeah. until he was getting up at like one in the morning because that was the only time of day when his sensor, his kind of internal sensor didn't kick in and tell him that everything was crap. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have it, you find, it sounds like the same thing with you. In the morning, you're in touch with that dreamy part, but you're also a little less, like you said, a little less apt to think that all the stuff you're writing is crap. And definitely, like, the longer the day goes on, like, if I have the data right and I haven't written by noon, like, just, like, the crushing guilt sets in of, like, oh, God, I'm wasting this day. Because it's just, it's wow. so easy to, like, put it off and put it off. And I, I oh, I have a, this may be interesting, I have a weird thing where I have to start at a half-hour increment. Like, I have to start at 7 or 7.30, and if it's, like, 7.26, I have to wait till 7.30, or if it's, like, 8.45, I gotta wait till 9 o'clock. Um, and I, I don't know why that is, but, um... I don't know. I like I like writing on my bed. I've I've heard that that's a horrible thing to do. It's bad for your back, and you're not supposed to associate working with the place that you sleep. And but it works for me. So I, I I've written things that I love on my bed. So I do that. That's um, great. I eat things that are horrible for me. Um, I read a lot of celebrity gossip when I can't think of the next good thing. Ah, that's I don't interesting. Know. So I don't you, know. you pull a lot of your inspiration <laughs> from kind of indulging in some of the things that. That might not be good for you on a on a well, on a mental level, maybe. <laughs> also I, on a I know you're level. supposed to. I don't know. I, I know you're supposed to sit at your desk with your cup of coffee and your serious expression Straight on your back. face. Yeah. But the kind of I guess the kind of writer I am and what my work is is um, I want to be full of life and joy and um, and fun and unexpected and surprising and and for me I, to have this very military regimented thing. I, I do I do write every almost every day unless it's like getting up at six in the morning and not being back in the house till midnight that's you know a hard day to write but on days when i have a couple hours free i, I always write um and uh, and like i said i also teach and that's always in the, always in the afternoon evening so morning is when i do have time but um i don't know i guess i guess um writing ha for me it has to be fun and i have to be having as much fun as possible and make it as much fun or else I don't know. It's it's, it's going to feel strained and um and regimented and, and and not really who I am as a writer. And of course, mm. like there are some people who that is what they need to do and that is who they are and that's great. But I'm a big believer in yeah, like like you're saying, you know, uh, getting as much. Uh, how do you write? What is your process from as many people as possible and kind of picking and choosing, kind of yeah. putting together like um, a buffet plate of that because. Yeah, we're all different. Why should we all? I, 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 I'm so scared. I'm suspicious of people that are that you know, say you have to do this, and this is the only way that you can be a right. writer. This, this is, this the is system. a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've talked about that on the podcast too of people who seem to who are kind of selling a system for actors, you know, yeah, or a system like a for writers. And it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's so. I mean, art is messy. It's just kind of inherently messy, and it's, it's individual to each person. So, yeah. I mean, I guess what I would say is the. For me, the only way I can find my process, and again, I'm still figuring out, and project by project, it's different. Like, some things, it's just going to take longer. It's just going to be harder. And it's just going to be more painful. And 
but that's just what it's going to be. Or I'm, you know, just going to write in fits and spurts. I'm, or some things I just, I write so consistently. It's the same basic page count every day. It's the same basic quality every day. The rewrites go pretty quickly and smoothly. Um, so I would say it's as much a project-to-project thing as it is, um, you know, just who I am as a writer and who mm. I am as a writer with process. And I think that has to be okay, too. I think it has to be okay to say... Yeah, this process, this project isn't going to go as easily as the other ones, um, and and trying, and then from there figuring out, oh well, is that because I'm doing something wrong, or is it because this is just going to be a hard project and you're just going to suck it up and you know, have it, you know, be rough going, right, rough waters, right, <laughs> right, and that 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 kind of that's a great segue into what we kind of briefly spoke about at the beginning, which was where do you get the inspiration for some of this stuff? I mean, like your your plays deal with relationships but these kind of the kind of almost like childlike aspects of of people that are in the like you know we I, i'm not being very articulated here but like people say that we're warming that, up we're, but, we're, we're, yeah. we're going into the, the first lap exactly but by the time you're like six years old i think they say you you know everything you need to live your life and that much of your kind of internal kind of emotional chemistry is pretty much set by about six seven eight years old and what I love about your work is you kind of embrace that and you kind of really take a look at the the kind of younger interactions that people have embedded in their emotional relationships. Am I making sense? Is that yeah, no, you are. It's, it's so funny because it's, 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 I've never heard that exact theory put on top of my work. And I, got, I like, I, got, I like I got, it a I lot. Hope, I hope that's what you are doing. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's it's, what's coming across to me. No, it's great. I mean, I mean for me, it's, there's nothing more fun than someone else examining your work because you get to feel sort of like... <laughs> I don't know. Like we're like we're at the college level, and you're like, it's like um, <laughs> right. you, you know, just just to be studied and to, and to be almost ha- have someone treat you as an academic subject is such an honor. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying to me makes sense because that's it, it was formative, definitely. Like I mean, duh, like everyone's childhood is formative. I I, I get that, but um, I don't know. I I, I kind of wandered around as, as uh, when I was a child, like it, mm, I didn't have this. Um, you know, conventional A, B, C soccer practice and getting, you know, the lead in the choir. Like, I was kind of an oddball and a weirdo, and I definitely still am, but I was much less socialized now than I I am, than than I was, um, than I am now. And I definitely, I think, just as far as, you know, you have to be vulnerable as a writer, and and that was the time that I was most vulnerable when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, and just always searching for community and belonging. I mean, for me, so much of my work is about being a part of a community and being part of a relationship and belonging because that's still, you know, obviously I'm years and years, years past being a kid, but, um, but I still do feel those things. And I still, um, I mean, those, the same things that, you know, made me feel lost and lonely when I was a kid still do. And obviously like I've got my adult armor on now and it's, you know, not as bad, but, um, but when I'm feeling vulnerable, I, I feel like I don't know that. I, and I think that's that's I think that's what it is. It, there, you, you really kind of focus on like the relationships between people, and you look at the jealousy and the admiration and the frustration and and the kind of things that kids have. I think when they're, when they're growing up with with their peers or with their siblings or with their parents, you know. Um, and I guess I'm curious, where does the inspiration for that come from? Is it mostly come from this kind of awkward place that we all have as, as kids and that you, you, you know, said you kind of wandered through, or is it, is it something that you pull out of some people, some act, some, um, sorry, some writers go on Craigslist and they look at like the, the misconnections ads and they, right. they find their stories there. Yeah. So where does, where does your inspiration for these, these characters and these stories come from? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess for better or for worse, like, I feel like my role in life is definitely that of an observer, that of a wallflower. Like, I've definitely become a more active part of my life as years have gone on, but I still, everything that I do and everything that I, um, you know, feel the the lens I look at the world through, I I look through that lens. So, um, you know, without meaning to, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm always listening. Um, try not to eavesdrop, but I'm, always accidentally doing it anyway and yeah. I, I love radio I, I read a ton I probably read like mm, book book and a half two books a week um I'm, I'm always on the news like on, on New York Times and LA Times just reading stuff and um you know it's I'm not necessarily like on the hunt for a story but there's just a lot of fascinating things out there and there are things that I file away 
in my brain, and I, and I keep, you know, Word documents, too, of notes and ideas, and just some things never, you know, it's interesting, but I know I'm not the right writer for it, or, um, you know, it's, I think it's it's much more interesting than it is emotionally compelling. I'm like, oh, that's mm. a really great, you know, NPR The World segment. That isn't a play. That isn't a screenplay. That isn't a, a television series or a web series or what have you. Um, but yeah, no, just sometimes, like, I'll, I'll hear a story or catch a story, and I'll just, like, I won't filter it through my brain. It'll kind of, like, catch me in the heart. Like, it has, you know, fish hooks. It's, it's, mm. um, and, so that's um, your, that's your criteria is, does it hit you here in the chest as opposed to here in the, the yeah, head? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it has to, I think it has to hit you both. And then from there, it's, it's always like the seedlings thing. It's never any, like, fully blown, you know, magnum opus. But, I guess, yeah, I always have a couple things I'm, I'm thinking about. And I just I usually think about things for a couple years before I, I, I write it, which seems like a long time, but there's, you know, there is an assembly line. Like, I'm, I'm already writing things, and I've already got things outlined, so there is time to just kind of think, and sometimes I'll, I'll put a couple of things together. Um, but, yeah, it just comes from a place of, I mean, lately I've been really interested in um, just kind of substance of society that people aren't really paying attention to, Um I, like a screenplay I wrote that's getting some attention <clears throat> is um about uh the uh the true love weights movement the um the kids oh, in high school yeah. the purity the, rings the purity and rings, the purity yeah. balls the sort of father daughter virginity proms and just that whole world to me was so fascinating ah, and so I mean I mean it'd be easier to I guess talk about that as a specific so for that um I was always interested in that world, but I didn't really know what the story was. And then I watched this, like, 45-minute-hour documentary on purity balls, which, again, it's um, daughters get dressed in their, you know, prom homecoming finest and um, pledge um, to their fathers that they will stay virgins until they meet a husband where upon the father will pass along the virginity lock to the husband. And that, that to me, was just... from there, I was like, okay, well, that's really interesting. I started reading a couple books about it. And um, in particular, this theme kept coming across of these girls that are um, taking very passive roles in their own lives that are basically letting choices be made for them. And obviously, one of the biggest choices you can make as um, a teen is sex because it's entering this whole new frontier. But it wasn't just sex. It was almost like that was a symbol for girls letting people make choices for them so then the screenplay itself chastity was about is about this um this girl who um is basically like the barbie doll poster child of this movement and her father is a pastor and she's got her friends that are all of their purity rings and it's just life just comes easily to her because everyone makes her choices for her and then she falls in love with um this new guy at her school that is everything that she's not supposed to be attracted to. He's an atheist and he's a Jew and he's a loudmouth and he wow. is a troublemaker. And it's, um, the story is about, you know, like basically love sweeps her off her feet and sends her hurtling down this path where she has to start making her own choices and, um, stops being a, you know, quote unquote good girl, but in the process actually becomes a good person who's making her own choices and kind of, not kind of is taking control of her own life. So that's sort of, that was the evolution of, of that story was just, um, I love this culture. I love, I mean, you know, it's just so easy and, and so stupid. I think for, um, to take cracks at American Christians and American e- evangelists. And I think a lot has been made of that in the past 10, 15 years in the media where it's just, you know, cartoons and stereotypes and cliches. And so I did want to take, there are parts of this culture that I don't agree with and um, that I wouldn't want to be a part of, but I really did want to look at a girl breaking out of this culture, but at the same time, now that she's making her own choices, realizing what God is to her and what the church is to her mm. and what community is to her. And, and not in a bad way, just starting to separate out what she really believes in and what she's been told to believe in. So that was that was important with um, with that project, too, was just really going back over it again and again and again and it is a comedy it's a, it's a teen comedy like uh wow. you know like juno or uh, saved yeah. as a close cousin but i didn't want it to be um a comedy that expense the characters i wanted to be a comedy about you know life throwing you curveballs you don't expect and the comedy comes from just 
the awkwardness and the pain and the humanity of, you know, just yeah. rolling with the punches. So that's, and I mean, and that's, I, I love the screenplay. It's, um, got Charles Herman Wormfeld attached to direct who, uh, directed Kissing Jessica Stein and Legally Blonde to Red, White, and Blonde. Wow. Um, and he's done a number of other things and he's, he's wonderful. So it's just at a bunch of studios right now. Oh, that's um, fantastic. And yes, I mean, I guess that's the best way to talk about where I get my ideas. Every play I've written, every screenplay, every pilot, uh, I've got a web comic that I write. Um, it all comes from that. It's just wanting to explore a world or a story that I've kind of, just, I don't know, yeah, observed in my own life. I heard on the radio at three in the morning. Whatever. What's playing on the radio at three in the morning? <laughs> Something. You tell but, us. Um, but um, you know, just like a link someone sent me to an article is just it's just that, and just from there, if it hits me, just kind of keeping in the back of my head until I get enough information to actually create a story with writing. That's great. So, so you really just kind of keep your brain open and, and in sponge mode, so to speak. And do you have like a, how do you, how do you catalog these ideas? I mean, I would imagine that once you start doing that and looking for the stories, they're everywhere. You know, absolutely. I I think my memory went from average to awesome (laughs) around the age of like 16, 17. Do you keep these these all in your head or do you have a place you write them down for for further? Until I start outlining, I don't really write stuff down. I just wow. keep it all in my head. I, I actually, I get in trouble because I, um, like I, I, I have very, uh, there are very few things that I would say, like, Oh, I'm really good at this. Cause I'm a klutz and a weirdo and I'm bad at a lot of things, but I've got a really good memory. And whenever I have conversations with people, I remember everything we talk about and they don't remember anything I've said. So it's always like, <laughs> I, I, I weird people out constantly by like bringing up something they like told me four years ago. I'm like, how'd you know that? I didn't, Oh jeez! What, what if I said yes? <laughs> no, it's just it's it's. I mean, whatever lens you look at life through is like the lens you look at life through, and yeah. I'm just constantly taking mental notes and observing and putting things together here and there. So it's just, I mean, I think I sort of make up for all the things I'm, I'm bad at by being super super um, adept at just cataloging and and puzzle piecing. Um, uh, stories. That's um, great. Do you find that's a common trait among people who are predominantly writers? Or is this something that you just feel like you kind of lucked out with? I don't know. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I think I, I think a lot of writers do do this or have to do this. I think... It sounds like is, a necessity almost. Yeah, but to, I mean, some people are... The thing is, I also, like, when I'm going to... If I'm going to work on a project, I'm if, I, if I'm going to write it as opposed to just have it floating around, in, you know, my hippocampus somewhere, I'm gonna write it um where and i'm gonna write in a timely manner and i'm gonna get to where it needs to be and i'm I'm gonna move on like i tend Mm. to write fast once i decide to write whereas some people do work on the same idea for years and years and years and that's their thing so i think if you're the kind of writer that picks one thing and then focuses exclusively on that for the next year five years ten years you don't need to do that so much but if you are going to work on four or five projects seriously a year. Yeah, you need to really have your yeah. ears out. And and as I mean, I'm also constantly learning. I'll I'll always think like I've gotten to this place where I'm never gonna start something bad ever again. And the next thing I write is like horrible drug and I <laughs> and I just like has to go in like the bottom of my MacBook files and I just never look at, think about, hear from it again. Um so I'm I'm super wary about um uh you know, saying, yes, I know my process. Yes, I know how I get my ideas. Yes, I know when ideas are ready to write because I, I mess up lots. Yeah. But I'm getting to the point where, where if an idea's been around long enough, and I'm, I mean, I'm still excited about something two, three years later. Like, it's it's worth writing. It must be good then. Yeah. yeah. It's it a must, long time to be It must be amazing out. and incredible and <laughs> sparkly. And so how, how, do you, how do you discipline yourself to write on the days that you don't want to write? Do you have days like that where you're just like, the last thing I want to do is sit in front of my laptop and write dialogue or an outline or any of that. Yeah, it is project to project because there are certain projects that are are longer. A screenplay is harder to write than a pilot because you're not. I mean, it's it's a difference between a sprint and a marathon. You're not running for thirty six pages. You're running for one hundred and ten pages. Um, and then uh, and a play is the same thing. My play is usually eight ninety pages. So there's that. Um, and again, you know. For me, I don't know. I was going to say comedies are easier to write, but that's not true. There are really hard comedy days, too, when I'm just completely judgmental. And, of course, the worst thing to be when you're writing comedy is judgmental because then nothing is funny or will ever be funny if yeah. you're, 
hating yourself at the moment. Right. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I think of writing as more athletic than divine inspiration. And, you know, I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm, I'm a sprinter and I'm a long distance runner. I've been doing, I mean, I'm 24 now. Um, I was 16, no, 15 when I started writing. So I've been running most days for nine years. So I, and I'm and then I'm not a real runner, so like a mile into like a, a real run with legs, I'm I'm done. Like I I just I'm crawling. But um, but because I've been training as a writer for so long, yeah. If it's uh, you know to extend the metaphor further, like a rainy day where you're tired and you're sick and you don't want to run, you still run. For me, it's it's the same thing. It's and yeah, some days are really exciting and fun, but it's I don't know. It's 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 weird because writing is so much a part of my everyday life. It's, it's like eating. It's like going to sleep. I would feel like something was mm. missing if I wasn't outright writing or at least working on a plot problem or doing something relating to writing. It's, 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 um, because it's so much a part of my routine in my life, it doesn't feel like a chore. It just feels like, yeah, like when people yeah. have their morning runs or when people, um, you know, uh, anything that's habitual or routine, it's just, yeah, so, some days are more fun than others. Some days are drudgery. But for me, writing mostly is fun. I know there are people that are writers that hate writing and are you know just need to get it done, and they're so happy once they're done. But um, I, I'm not in their brains, so I don't I don't know how that works. But for me, I couldn't be a writer if I hated the actual part of writing. Sure. I mean, mostly it's really fun. Occasionally it can be annoying, but even the annoying stuff is fun because one of my favorite things at writing is um, puzzling things out and, and problem solving. So even when something is frustrating, it's usually frustrating in a good way. Rarely do I feel just despair. It's like, God damn it, how am I going to get to act three of the screenplay? Or no, of course, why, why would she make that choice? That is like a choice no human being would make in the situation. So how can I get my brain to think of a choice a human being would make in that situation just to like be extremely vague and use vague examples. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I just, it's so much a part of who I, who I am and what I do. It's absolutely how I look at the world. It's how I look at myself. It's how I look at myself in relation to the world. Um, also, I mean, this is a very weird thing to say, but I'm a secular person. I, I don't, really subscribe to one religion or another, but I, I sort of am of the mind that whether you like it or not, we all have religions. They just might not be Judeo-Christianity or right. Islam. Um, but my religion is writing. It, it, so it's, yeah, you don't always want to go to church. Mm. You don't always want to, you know, um, I don't know, do Sunday school. But if if it is your religion, if it's what you believe in, it's um, it's just what you do. So it's, it's, it's a weird thing to answer because I think there are people that maybe don't write as regularly or don't write as in, intensely that are writers. And for them, it's more of a job. But for me, it is it is my job and it is my career, but it's also my worldview, my religion, my um, – everything in my life is, in some way or another is observing or writing. So I don't I don't know how to say if I had a good day or a bad day because – it, it's like you don't really have a good Jewish day or a bad Jewish day. You don't really have a, a, a good breathing day or a bad breathing day unless you're on artificial respiration. For the most part, it just is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think Stephen Pressfield uh, summed it up really well, uh, kind of exactly what you're talking about in his book, The War of Art. Have you have you had a chance to read that book? Well, now I'm going to have oh, to. It's so good. And he talks about going pro. And he says, basically, if you're an amateur, you just kind of write when you want to write and you waffle on it and you don't commit to it fully and you let other things get in the way and you make excuses. But when you're pro, you show up at 7 a.m. every day and you write for your four hours or whatever it is. Or you hit that word counter, that page counter, whatever, and you make it happen. You just, you're a professional. Yeah. And he says, like, once you kind of make that distinction and just commit to it 100%, it's a great saying by Jack Canfield, 99% is a bitch, 100% is a breeze. <laughs> And I love that because it's just like if you commit to it and it just, it's just going to happen, yeah. then it's so easy. And if it's just like, I'm going to do it, I'm pretty positive sure, probably. You know, Then it's like this big internal conflict that you just wrestle with all the time. So yeah. I love that, that you said it's kind of like your church, your religion. It's like it's just that's where you go to kind of make it happen and be renewed. Like you find it gives – it sounds like it gives you as much as you give it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and 
Like you said, I've been super lucky. I've been super lucky in theater. I'm getting super lucky in film and TV. Like, it's given me a lot, but it almost doesn't have to in order. Like, it could be, like, a much worse husband than it is, and I would still... (laughs) (laughs) It could be way more abusive than it's been. Right. And it's just... I mean, there are people that say, oh, I'll give up after a couple years if it doesn't work out, but um, how can you give up who you are? All right, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Kit Stein-Kellner. I'm really looking forward to part two, personally, so yeah. hopefully you guys are too. I, She was, I, I don't know, this was a really inspiring interview uh, to me. I once, it was one, another one of those where I was like, damn, I wish I could have been there, you know? Yeah. Because um, the stuff that she was saying just about being an artist in general was just like bacon my noodle, man. I, I think it is so valuable for artists of one discipline to listen to the experiences and, and learn about the process of artists from other mediums. You know what I mean? Like that's why yeah. I've been, I've been kind of like really kicking around the idea of having musicians and maybe even like painters and other people like that on this podcast, not regularly, just kind of like one in every 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause I, it is inside acting, not inside art, you know, but like if we have some of that, like you, you get these little nuggets of, of, of wisdom and information that just, that, that have no barriers, you know? Yeah, can well, transcend the different mediums. Exactly, and and what you just the word that I picked out of what you just said is that that um, that word process. You know, I was telling you before we started recording t- today that one of the things that I that kind of uh, baked my noodle a little bit about this interview is that she talks about her process of, as a writer, but not just in terms of like writing this project. She talks about it in terms of living, like my process as a writer it, that that's my life that's what i do so <clears throat> I, I was thinking you know she, she said i get up every morning and i write mm-hmm. and i was thinking to myself well damn like what what is it that i do in my acting process that doesn't have anything to do with a specific role yeah that doesn't have anything to do with a specific show or play or role or audition it's like when i when I'm just going through life, just being an actor, if I consider myself an actor, what is it that I do on a day-to-day basis, on a daily basis that makes me an actor? Mm-hmm. What is my process outside of a role? What is my process as an actor? Like, yeah. if there are all these specific roles, then one of them, the sort of the super role, is <laughs> just being an actor, role. right? Just being yeah. an actor in your life or just being, yeah, just being an actor. So what is... What is your process of being an actor? Yeah. You know, just like she has a process for being a writer. And that kind of trip, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I felt like I was behind again. Like <laughs> somehow like, oh, now I have all this catching up yeah. to do. Well, you know, that, that's interesting because that brings up two things for me. The, number, the first thing is I, on this blog called Sorted Noise. It's a, a blog about musicians and kind of like business side of uh, promoting your music. And in one of the posts, the author, the guy who had written the post mentioned that he always felt like if you were... Um, and a musician of some kind or an artist of some kind that whatever you spent the most time on during the week was what you were. So if you're a musician, but you work 45 hours a week at UPS, you're a UPS guy, not a musician. You know, if you're just doing your music on the weekends. So it's like, you've got to look at your time and really look at what you're spending the most time on. You know, I love that you brought that up because Kit's a writer. She gets up and she writes for a huge chunk of her day. And if she adds up those hours throughout the day, I'm willing to bet that she writes more than any other activity that she does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and she does. And yeah. that's, and I guess that's what was so inspiring to me, you know? Yeah. And also made me feel like I'm not an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that, that brought up was, uh, you know, I, I talked about this wake up productive uh, course that I was taking a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. that like those that like video series yeah that my roommate gave me and uh, in that Eben Pagan the guy who runs it talks about uh, having a morning ritual a thing that you do every morning like a series of steps that you take after you get out of bed to kind of get yourself ready for the day and it can last anywhere from like five minutes to ninety minutes or longer if you want but it it has things to do things like you know brushing my teeth. You know, drinking a liter of water, like, you know, whatever, whatever it goes, whatever thing it takes to kind of get you awake. But then it also goes into like exercising for 20 minutes, meditating, you know, going over my goals, like whatever it is, just have a ritual that you do 
most of the time, six out of seven days of the week. And I thought that was a really interesting thing because we had a conversation before we started recording about you saying like, God, you know, what is my process as an artist? Like every day, what do I, what do I do? And that made me think like, God, what would an, what would an, an actor's morning ritual be? It's different for every person, but I wonder what the commonalities would be from actor to actor. I don't know. Something to think about, you know, something to mentally chew on. My brain is melting and it's all your fault, Trevor. <laughs> it's all your fault. Cool. Uh, picks of the week. Sir, picks of the week. I already told you mine, dude. Uh, what it, my wait. pick of the week is the show Dexter. Oh yeah, that's right. We yeah. talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Why, sir? Why? Uh, God, you know, a friend of me, a friend of a friend of me, a friend of me, a friend of me, a friend of mine gave me the, the season one DVDs a few weeks ago, and I just kind of stuck them on my shelf and never really watched them. And then I was hanging out at my friend's house, and she has an Apple TV. And uh, we were looking through the sh- stuff we could watch, um, and I was like, oh, I heard Dexter's really good, so we started watching that. And I watched one episode that night, and the next day I watched four, and the day after that I watched ten. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had man. one of those days where I was just like, I can't stop. It was so good, man. It's just so good. The writing, the way it's put together, the kind of snarkiness, but the, the heavier issues it deals with, the acting, of course, is phenomenal. Everything about that show is phenomenal. See, that's what I'm, I'm afraid sometimes when I hear a show is really good, then I'm like, oh, should I get into it? Because yeah. then I might end up watching... Tw- 14 episodes in two days you know yeah, and that happens man and that's the that's the evil thing because i didn't get i didn't get anything evil. done that day that i needed to get done but at the same time at the end of the day i was looking back and i was like man i didn't get anything done today but i feel so recharged you like were, my battery is still recharged we're studying yeah right? there's a that's exactly what i mean research yeah. yes so um in a way it's kind of okay to do that as you're if you're an actor if you're an actor it's okay to lay around on the couch all day and watch tv <laughs> That's what we're telling you. Someone's gonna someone's gonna take that part of our podcast and just cut it out and right. use it to incriminate the hell right. out of us. Do it. Context. We're ending, the, we're ending the podcast on that note. Context. No. <laughs> Fifty-one no. episodes and we're done. What we learned is it's okay to sit around, sit around on the couch, the couch and, watch and watch TV. TV. The end. Good night, folks. <laughs> What's your I, pick of the week? My pick of the week is 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 very cool and interesting. It's also a piece of media. I. Nelson, our producer, and I had the chance to uh, go and watch a live recording of another podcast. He and I have been to several live Dignation podcasts. I don't know if you guys know that. That should be a pick of the week at some point because that show is just freaking hilarious and we watch it all the time. But there's another podcast that's sort of up and coming right now. And actually, as of right now, as the time of this recording, it's number seven in the top audio podcasts wow. on iTunes, like right up there with like This American Life and stuff. Um, and it's called Nerdist. And it's hosted by Chris Hardwick and two comedians, Matt and Jonah. <clears throat> um, and it is hysterical. Um, it's a really funny podcast. It's a, It mostly just concerns itself with, they call it Nerdist because it mostly just concerns itself with like nerd culture. That being, you know, sort of tech and also like, just really like geeky things like i don't want to say dungeons and dragons although they do bring it up but basically just like everything that you would consider like a nerd in the nerd culture they talk about um in the nerd culture <laughs> it is it is there's a there's a nerd culture there definitely is and um and and it's just it's so funny and i've been listening to it recently and they bring actors on there sometimes because chris happens to be you know friends with a lot of actors and um this live show had uh, Kevin from Attack of the Show, um, one of the hosts of Attack of the Show, was on. And, you know, the live show was hilarious. The podcast is hilarious. And um, who knows? Maybe uh, sometime soon we'll have those guys on our show. Maybe. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. People can find that at, what, like, Nerdist.com? I don't know, if they, I don't know what, their, what their website is to be honest, but I mean, they definitely, I mean, if you just go to iTunes and, and, and do a search for Nerdist, uh, for Nerdist or, or just look in the top podcast right now. Um, but if I go to, um, yeah, it's Nerdist.com. Cool. Sweet. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Awesome. Cool. So I think that does it for episode 51. Damn. Yeah, yeah, fifty-one episodes. That's awesome, uh, guys! Don't forget about your discount. Um, right. If you go to samofourlife.com, you can uh, purchase anything 
on the website and type in the uh, discount code ACTING101, ACTING101, and get 15% off everything at samovarlife.com. So uh, remember that is uh, another way of supporting the podcast besides uh, donating on, on our website. Yes. Drink tea. Invest in yourself. <laughs> I like that. That's that's their new tagline. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you got questions or uh, comments about today's, um, you know, uh, interview, uh, send them along to uh, our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Yes, you can leave a comment there or you can email us at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com. You can call our voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We are at Facebook.com slash InsideActing and Twitter.com slash InsideActing. Or you can follow us and or, I should say, you can follow us uh, individually on Twitter. I'm Twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. And I'm tw- Twitter.com slash actor. Um, you can also uh, rate us. You can leave a comment or and or rate us and give us a <coughs> five star five star rating on uh, inside uh, inside acting on iTunes and or actor rated. Just do a yeah. search for inside acting in both those places. And of course, last but certainly not least, you can donate to the podcast. Um, as I said uh, a moment ago, of course, you can always go to samofourlife.com and purchase something using our discount code, which. You know, as we've said before, helps us to grow our um, business partnership with our, our first ever sponsor. But you can also go and, and just uh, take that, that same money and donate it directly to the podcast, and it goes directly back into the podcast. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, two ways to donate on our website. They're on the right-hand side right now. And you can either leave a, a lump sum of a dollar, hundred dollars, uh, um, or you can sign up to subscribe to the podcast for three, five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. Cool. And it's all done through PayPal, so it's one hundred percent secure. And you can write every donation to Inside Acting off as an education expense come tax time. So it's really a win-win-win-win-win situation for everybody. Save those receipts. Save those receipts. Yes, yes indeed. So um, please do that, and thank you guys for listening. Cool. So that's all we got uh, for episode fifty-one. I'm Trevor Elgon. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be lazy, lay around, and watch some Dexter. Yeah.